Hello and welcome back to The Experience Makers, a podcast brought to you by Cognify, the WPP Marketing Technology Consultancy. I'm Gemma Milne, and once a month we'll be reimagining customer experience with guests from across the marketing technology industry. Today we're trying something a little different, and in line with government guidelines, The Experience Makers comes to you virtually. So bear with us if we sound a little different, but stay tuned and keep listening. We'll continue to bring you hot topic discussions once a month throughout the lockdown. COVID-19 has changed our lives overnight. From the health risks to the impact it's having on the economy, the implications are endless. Today, I'm joined by Neil Godber and Marie Stafford, both from WPP's Wonderman Thompson Agency. With 20,000 people across 90 countries, Wonderman Thompson have been looking at how consumers and brands are responding to the COVID crisis and what the world might look like PC post-corona. Thank you so much for joining. Um, It would be great if you could start by introducing yourselves a little bit and tell us a bit about your roles. Marie, let's start with you. Sure, yeah. So um, I head up a team at Wonderman Thompson that is basically concerned with thinking about the future. So we spend our time looking into what's happening in terms of consumers' lives and behaviours, how that's changing, along with um, what's happening in terms of innovation. And it's really about sort of the intersection between the two and then sort of thinking about what that means for brands. So uh, so we publish a lot of our own content at um, intelligence.wondermanthompson.com. So we're constantly kind of looking at cultural shifts. And obviously, the biggest cultural shift of all is upon us. So at the moment, we're spending a lot of our time thinking about COVID-19 and how it's changing our lives. Amazing. Thank you, Marie. Neil. Uh, hello, I'm the Joint Head of Strategy for Wonderman Thompson in London. And what that means is I'm responsible for, um, if you like, looking at the sorts of capabilities, strategic capabilities that, uh, that, the, that the agency has as a whole, um, how they integrate, um, how we can, if you like, give best advice, practice and work for our clients. And I'm also responsible for a range of different um, clients in a range of different industries from pharmaceutical to financial to packaged goods. Thank you both. Okay, so COVID-19 has sent the global economy into turmoil with consumer anxiety rocketing and all kinds of new concerns. What behaviours and characteristics are you guys seeing emerge among consumers now that the sort of stockpiling and panic buying phase appears to be petering out? Marie? Sure. Yeah, so I think the, the initial stockpiling, you know, panicking, it is is like the immediate knee jerk reaction, and obviously we're a, we're a few weeks in now, I guess. And I think the key thing is really around people trying to reassert a sense of control, and and that's obviously driven by you know the sense of anxiety, this completely new situation which you know none of us have ever experienced before on a scale like this. So I think what we're seeing is lots of different behaviours that all ladder up to this idea of taking back a little bit of control. So whether that's people you know, trying to restore some sense of normality by connecting socially via video chat and things like house party and Zoom, whether it's like making sure you do your workout using an online provider instead of going to the gym. There's lots of behaviours that we're trying to replicate using technology that are all about us trying to keep feeling like our lives are still going on. Things like going to the theatre online. I mean, I'm sure you've seen some of the great examples of uh, some of the big venues around the world that are live streaming theatre, plays, opera. Um, You know, we can still try and carry on our lives with a sense of 
a bit of normality thanks to some of these innovative hacks. Yeah, I saw that, um, I think it was the Moscow uh, Ballet Theatre had put up uh, Swan Lake and we had Andrew Lloyd Webber releasing Joseph and all sorts of things on, yeah. on TV and online. It's been it's been quite remarkable, really, yeah. to be able to see these things. Um, right. Neil, from your perspective, you know, I guess we've seen quite distinct phases of the outbreak in countries like China, for instance. What what are the phases of change we'd expect to see and how do you think that's going to impact behaviour? Yeah, so um, I think what you see, if you look back at, say, SARS or other global uh, health crises, um, you tend to see three types of phases. So the first phase is, is is what we would call an acute outbreak phase, if you like. This, this thing's real, it's happening um, there's a huge sense of uncertainty. Uh, consumer confidence drops dramatically, um, as if you like, as, as the issue kind of grips society and spreads. Um, and at that point, you know, you have people just literally trying to kind of urgently assess what are the immediate things they have to um, uh, they have to get on board with and what needs to happen. When, if you like, that's that's started to hit the bottom, you then start to get into uh, let's call it a recovery phase. In as much as you know. How can you try to cope with the situation and now that things start to flatten out? Um, and how can you deal with it once you, if you like, put the immediate fires out and stop hemorrhaging? Certainly from a sort of business perspective, but also if you look at it from a consumer perspective, um, you know, what are the things that you immediately need to say stock up on? How do you get childcare? How do you work? So and so forth. So you start to recover. Um, and then finally, uh, and of course, there's, you know, there's lots of conversation about what kind of a dip or recession this will be. Uh, but ultimately, then there's a, a sort of new level of normality. So uh, so what does that new normal look like for consumer behaviour, for attitudes, for sectors, for industry, for society? Um, so if you like, when you finally emerge from this huge downturn, if you like, what are those kind of residual effects that uh, that have hit and that have happened to society that brands and companies now need to, to cope with on an ongoing basis, as opposed to thinking this is purely a temporary state? I think it's interesting the the discussion as well around how do we try and predict because you you, you alluded to it right at the start this is not typical circumstances it's not something really anyone alive has really had to deal with before or, or recognizes and we're talking a lot about you know let's look at what happens in South Korea let's look at what happens in the Wuhan region to try and almost make sense of what's going to happen to us in say two or three weeks time how do you kind of use that information but also bear in mind that you know, we all live in completely different societies with different norms. I, I would argue there's probably a limit as to how much information and insight we can take from those that are quote unquote further ahead than say here in the UK. Marie? Yeah, no, you're right. I think that's a really good point because, you know, we are all looking to to China and to Asia as as a sign of, you know, what's coming next. But you're absolutely right. You really do need to take sort of cultural norms in those markets into consideration. And I can give you one example. So fascinating to see Wuhan opening up again this week. Um, and so immediately, you know, the world's eyes turn over there, like what is happening? And and it's fascinating, like people can now move around in the city, but actually they need uh, to, to prove they're not contagious. So um, all of the citizens there have an app which gives you sort of a red, yellow, green indicator, which is kind of a vouch safe for the fact that you're healthy and you can interact with other people. Now, I think it's potentially within the realms of imagination that, you know, yes, also in the West, in the future, there may be greater controls about what we can do based on how healthy we are. 
But whether we would ever get to the stage where we're, you know, we're carrying something around, which is, you know, something we'd hand over and demonstrate to officialdom that we are well enough to to be moving around amongst our fellow citizens. That's obviously coming from a totally different place that they have in China, which is they're much more used to surveillance. They're much more used to kind of submitting to this kind of level of um, scrutiny by the government. So I think that is a is a great example of what you're talking about is that, you know, this is going to impact differently in different markets according to, you know, the culture, history, you know, the economy even is all going to play into how different markets are responding. Yeah, I, I'm very intrigued to see, I mean, it, it sounds a little bit flippant to say this, I don't mean this in a flippant way, but I'll be very intrigued to hear what the conversations are going to be in a year's time looking back at this and sort of going, you know, we had however many years of building up all these narratives around privacy and tracking and personal freedom and, and you know, did this situation suddenly shift that in certain ways um but let's talk a little bit about brands because obviously um we've got a lot of people who'll be listening to this who'll be curious about how to think about this from both a brand and a a corporate perspective so um let's first talk about the sort of current status quo um how have brands responded in the sort of first acute phase of the pandemic you know i'd love to hear some of your ideas about maybe some of the best practices or some examples that you've seen that you think you know, where a company or brand has sort of lived up to the challenge or stepped up to the challenge. Marie, let's first hear from you. Sure. I mean, I think um, what we've seen is that brands have to respond to this, right? You know, it's it's almost like doing nothing is is like fiddling while Rome burns. So th- there is there is a need for a response of some kind. But I think what we've seen is that there's lots of different ways of doing that so some of the different types of of approaches we've seen run from you know just simple donations so you know we've seen morrison's the grocery uh, store with its donation to food banks for example you know just really putting it's what what it can do where it really has an immediate impact straight away um, early on, we saw lots of companies pivoting to try and help the medical efforts. So with the hand sanitizers, producing masks, lots of businesses talking about can they make ventilators, for example. There's There's been sort of a gestural response, like can we support the frontline workers? So brands like McDonald's and Pret offering free or discounted uh, food and drink for workers on the front line. And there's also been a load of brands trying to do something to kind of help consumers through the, the boredom. So, you know, whether that's giving them free entertainment, I think it was HBO's unlocked uh, free streaming of of loads of its kind of you know, biggest um, shows of all time, like The Sopranos and Breaking Bad and so on, through to Mattel, which is offering parents like free play resources to keep their kids entertained. So there's been like a really sort of broad spectrum of re- of response and, and whether that's kind of like supporting the front line, um, helping consumers, helping businesses and, you know, your own supply chain. There's lots and lots of different ways we're seeing brands responding. And I think, you know, what the key is that they have some response at all. Got it. Neil, from your perspective, you know, what impact do you think these brand behaviors right now are going to have on long-term sort of brand perception and trust? And I want to also, just before you answer that question, you know, I think sometimes there's been a lot of discussion nowadays about, 
you know, does it sound flippant to be talking about these things? You know, do, is it okay for brands to be thought of nicely once this is all over when really we should be talking about lives being lost and whatnot? But I think at the end of the day, we have to be realistic. You know, there will be different phases. We will be moving forward. And I think it's important to be thinking about these ideas right now. So so based on that, tell me a little bit about what, what how you think these brand behaviors are going to have on long-term uh, brand perception and trust. Um, that's a great question. There's a whole bunch of things going on with that, I think. So, so, so there's a wider conversation, which is should brands, uh, should brands even be spending or not? Um, and if you look back at historic uh, data, and that would show, if you like, what happens to share of market for brands if they stop spending when you go into a recession, and to some extent when you come out of a recession, uh, you see a couple of things. One is obviously share of share of voice and share of market are are correlated. So IPA data would show that. So if you turn yourself off. Um, over the longer term, you will start to lose your sales. Um, there's also uh, very useful research. Uh, I think it's Telus and Telus that will show if you go dark in a time of crisis, then you lose far more heavily than you otherwise would have done if you just stopped spending in a general in a general way. So think of it like this: if everybody pulls out of spending media, then really it's quite easy for the brands that keep on spending to cut through because your relative voice gets louder and louder and louder and more repetitious as everybody else pulls out of the market. Now, I suppose the next question after thinking about whether you ought to maintain uh, salience uh, and you ought to keep trying to building that brand is if you like, do ought you to step into the fray and you know what kind of messaging should you put out there? And again, the research certainly so far, uh, and I dare say we'll have to track, we'll have to use research to track how it's gonna work as we go through this period. So obviously this is kind of up to as far as we can tell. So who knows what's going to happen to the media in the nation uh, or wider from there. But there seems to be very little uh, evidence right now that people want brands to stop advertising and stop trying to communicate with them. If anything, you could argue, let's look at the different types of consumers. There are types of consumers who may be less well off, who are being harder hit, who probably want more help from brands. From those uh, people, they sort of want to try and keep their world as sane and as normal as possible. Now, I think it's also worth saying that if you like what uh, research has shown so far is the brands who have messages who are more about, should we say, sort of victory, winning, superiority, that sort, you know, that kind of fist pumping style of um, almost aspirational brand. Their messaging seems to be, if you like, less well received. There are brands who are much more focused on, if you like, trying to be relevant, trying to be emotional, trying to be warm, trying to pull people together. And those are the, if you like, the messages and the cons that seem to be cutting through and doing well. And, and, and you saw that in the last recession where, you know, bringing people together to celebrate, if you like, almost the smaller wins and the smaller stuff is the messaging that seems to work well. I want to I want to turn to you, Marie. So. We've talked a little bit about brand behavior and how that's kind of changing or what, you know, what we can be doing or should be doing or whatnot over time. How might, how might we see consumer behaviors change during these sort of different phases of the outbreak, shall we say? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, we talked a little bit already about these sort of coping behaviors, kind of trying to take back a little bit of control um, I think um, another area that's going to have um, real impact and probably long lasting impact is, is accelerating transition to digital. So obviously, you know, l- lots of us already use 
um, digital for a whole host of things, communicating, social, shopping. But um, I think what this um, situation has done is really kind of transition everything to digital. You know, if it can be online, it now is. And we've already talked about a few examples of those. But I think, you know, what's really interesting is how it could have that impact of really transitioning a lot more of what we do to the digital space. I mean, you know, there's a whole host of examples, but if you think about work, obviously, you know, how we're now all working remotely and all using video conferencing, what will be the long-term impact of that? You know, will we go back to um, all just sitting in the office or will that have a long-term impact? Um, think about um, grocery shopping. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I've not managed to get a slot at my uh, grocer for about four weeks now because all of them are prioritising elderly or vulnerable customers. And if you think that's probably, you know, the group of people that maybe were less likely to use um, online shopping, but now, you know, they're in the habit of doing it. It's it's something that's set up. Those those kind of behaviors are probably likely to, to carry on, I think. So so we're probably going to see this as as happened, actually, with the SARS um, epidemic in Asia. You know that gave a real boost to to digital i think we'll probably see that again um another area i think is um around the home so you know we've, we've already been seeing how um, people's relationship with the home has been changing in recent years because of things like better connectivity streaming um you know 24-hour deliveries it, it's already become kind of our um, our empire and and that again is something I think is going to be accelerated now because the home is just our command center for everything I mean you know I know Neil's got kids at home so his home will be you know his office um, it's it's a school it's it's where you know you take exercise it's it's where literally everything happens and I think that's going to really changed like a lot of our behaviors we're, we're already seeing people being so much more domesticated like you know you've seen people start baking again and all the supermarkets running out of flour because we're all wanting to kind of you know start making sourdough bread or or learn how to bake or you know getting our gardens nice for the spring because we're going to be spending all our time there decorating you know the stores in the home furnishings kind of running out of stuff so i think there's going to be this real sort of shift back to cocooning and and getting the home kind of as your as your kind of ultimate sanctuary which which actually was something we saw kind of after you know post recession i think people knew they were going to spending more time at home and so they want to make it into kind of the you know kind of place where they want to spend more time i mean there's just so many so many examples i could really go on and on but that those are just a couple i think that we're going to start to see in the in the medium term the long term is kind of a different matter and i guess we'll come on to that later on we've gone from this sort of e-commerce to e-everything overnight um neil would you say that brands are coping with this pressure i mean it's, it's a huge pressure so you know it's obviously a relative sort of question but i'd be curious about how you feel they've been coping um I, I think there's there's a variety of different coping mechanisms being uh, being employed, and and a lot of that depends, firstly down to the sorts of the sorts of distribution channels that those brands exist you know existing brands have. So if you're a packaged goods brand, for instance, um you know what has happened to your to your mode of distribution? Because primarily, let us not forget, you know the majority of sales, especially grocery sales, still go through bricks and mortar stores. 
So, you know, whilst the UK, I believe, is one of the, you know, at the forefront in terms of e-commerce, you know, it, it's still incredibly difficult, my understanding is, for, if you like, grocers or malts um, to make the money and make a profit out of deliveries uh, and, on, and online groceries. So, 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 you know, there are packaged goods brands or FMCG brands and where they are suddenly having to try and cope with, if you like, online demand. And that is difficult. Now, I think they're being helped by um, some of the grocers, because let us not forget, if you like, the grocers are hit, not hit, but, you know, they have to reorient, if you like, how they can get their supplies out to people. So how can they make these for people to come in and, if you like, almost create mini drive throughs in their car parks, or they suddenly make online shopping much, much easier. So if you're a packaged goods brand, to a large extent, you're suddenly looking at how can you sort of accelerate your e-commerce uh, approach, and you can suddenly exist well in that world. And I suspect there are quite a few, uh, you know, quite a few companies where actually they've thought about bricks and mortar, uh, just kind of, sh- uh, you know, point of sale, but less about e-commerce. So all of a sudden that's now come to the fore and that, that'll be changing things. There are also those brands, I think, who are more in the world of service brands. So there are brands where people, um, you know, they want them, but they can't fulfill because fundamentally they order things online. But actually that service engineer, for instance, so how do you install Sky? So there's high demand. But you can't fundamentally fulfill that demand. So therefore, all of a sudden, I suspect for quite a few brands, they need to look at it and say, how can we accelerate what was a movement that was happening already, which is to more more towards, say, remote access, self-service, online help. um, And how can they suddenly bring that to the fore and accelerate that and make it possible? So so I think that's that's fascinating. And, And I think along with Marie, you know, I think the acceleration of sort of analog brands uh, and companies towards how does their uh, e-commerce or e-presence or e-service suddenly work will be phenomenal. Building upon uh, on top of that, Marie, I'd love to hear from your experience. You know, which brands do you think are you know are managing to actually make a difference difference and really serve customers at a time like this, particularly you know whether they've enhanced their digital experience or created a digital experience from scratch. I'd love to hear some of the examples that you think are, are really stand out. I, I think some of the grocers here are doing an amazing job. Like you know, Tesco's um, the way they've kind of. Uh, transitioned the shopping experience and made it you know incredibly safe like with the sanitization stations and with you know these dedicated routes through store and putting the plexiglass up it's just again it's kind of making people feel that they are safe to go and do these things that they need to do and and just offering this layer of reassurance but yeah talking about digital I mean one of the nicest examples I've seen and I think is 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 really smart is the brew dog so um, they have um, opened up virtual um, bars. So, you know, obviously we've all been kind of doing this naturally, like, you know, everyone I know has been having these Zoom cocktail parties together. Um, but I think, you know, one conversation I had with some of my friends about that is it's, it's kind of, it, it's nice, but it's not really like going out to a bar because you don't have those, um, obviously, you know, you might bump into someone you, you, you didn't know was going to be there, or you might talk to some people you'd never met before. You know, th- those experiences are lacking in those um, kind of, you know, Zoom experiences. Whereas I think what's nice about BrewDog is that they've created these virtual bars where anyone can check in. So it's got that kind of, you know, serendipity of you might meet someone new, you might, you know, see an old friend you've not seen for years that's somehow lacking and they're doing all the you know pub quizzes and tasting sessions and whatever i think that's absolutely brilliant because you know 
for Brits, obviously, one of the things we're missing most of all is the pub, right? <laughs> so, so I think so, that's an absolutely fantastic example. I think one example that I've also been thinking was just really impressive is the um, the shift that a lot of these restaurant suppliers that you know usually you know they, they get a phone call from a restaurant and they deliver things and they have their very set very quick turnaround processes and suddenly creating apps and websites that, that you know regular people can go on and order groceries and hope that they order enough to make it worth their while to deliver and I think it's that kind of you know things that probably we would have been saying before oh, that's impossible that's too difficult a process to implement and we can't possibly just create a website and do this you know it's a whole change you know for for better or worse I suppose we've managed to prove that you can do it when there's a will there's a way there's obviously loss in many different ways but it is possible we, we sort of alluded to it earlier on this idea of what do we think the long term is going to look like so I would love to hear just a little bit from both of you what do you think a new status quo might look like you know post corona neil let's start with you um so yeah looking at a crystal ball um i i would agree i think that the acceleration of uh should we say e everything will just go and go and go and so i think that that as a shift in business will continue so i think that if you like if you were uh, a business that was moving towards uh using digital technology in order to sort of insulate your business and also to grow your business. You know, let us not forget that a lot of the best brands have an ecosystem of services that they supply to uh, consumers. So if you can accelerate that and you can do it in a way that, that sticks, then I think that you will see that, to, that that will stay and it will grow and grow and grow because there's no way would you go backwards. Um, yeah. on, the, on the flip side, I think you see consumers, I, I think in China, there was something like 84% uh, of people had tried something new in terms of some form of online sort of experience or service. So the massive growth in anything from entertainment, calls, education, banking, shopping, all of those things just rocketed. And I suspect there's, if you like, trying to get people to do it for the first time is super hard. Uh, it's super hard in marketing. You know, trying to create new habits is one of life's quite hard things. And I think that in a way, you know, the coronavirus has forced people to at least try. And the longer it goes, the more, if you like, um, the more of a habit it will become. And it may evolve and it may well change. And, and inevitably, let us not forget, you know, one of the other rules of life is, you know, no medium, no practice entirely dies. It just morphs with the new, if you like, wave of things. So I suspect that kind of hybridization of online and offline will will massively blossom uh, as time goes by. And the other thing I'm kind of interested in seeing is uh, I suspect still there was a feeling within society that things like food um, and to a large extent, these things are kind of limitless. Do you know what I mean? People's kind of approach to eating, to cooking, to buying... I suspect, yes, people talked about, you know, buying less, making do, recycling, so on and so forth. But that was still a minority, infrequent minority behavior. And I'd be very interested to see what has happened to, you know, if mobility has been reduced, what has that done to the ecology? Um, if you don't need to make trips quite so often, what does that do to sort of discretionary trips? So I'd be very interested to see people's um, like point of view um, on, on, if you like, you know, being a bit more frugal versus just completely don't worry about it we'll just keep spending it's fine i think that's an interesting point i would i would love to have this conversation with you in a couple of months time though because you've got to remember that 
people have only had one month of no pay, right? So there's there's a level of, there's going to be an adjustment there where the people who have not been able to earn money um, for the last month, when it becomes two or three months, I think that might be a slightly different uh, different conversation. But awesome, I love that. Okay, Marie, let's hear your um, crystal ball predictions for the long term. So, um, yeah, I mean, completely agree with everything Neil was saying about, about digital. I think that's, that's 100%, um, you know, going to be an outcome from this. But sort of more broadly i think this and we can already start seeing this is gonna is gonna kind of reset values for people so you know the things that we thought mattered before we may come to realize don't matter quite as much as that we thought they did and others matter a lot more um so i've already briefly mentioned this earlier but i think the focus on health and well-being which is which has been obviously you know huge over the past sort of decade anyway i think is going to become even more important and you know not just in a physical sense but also in mental well-being again we're already starting to see people kind of worrying about people in isolation and what impact that will have on mental health through to emotional as well and i think you know one of the things we're coming to realize is what really matters is is kind of human contact and you know people um and i think that will be a big focus going forward is you know our connections to each other um are what really matter and maybe some of the more materialistic things less so so interestingly enough in china they had a a real drop off in in spending luxury actually and i know the predictions for the luxury industry are quite sort of severe now i think you know once things get back to normal you will have that little splurge bounce back you know we're all gonna go and have that party we've missed for the whole year but i do think we were already on a trend towards kind of a more mindful consumer and and i kind of agree with neil that perhaps this will make make people more reflect more on what matters and what we really care about and the final thing i'd i'd I'm really intrigued what will happen. So we've we've done a lot of work around sustainability recently. And until this crisis, you know, that was the crisis we were all focused on. We were all talking about what can we do to solve climate change? Now, that's kind of been pushed to one side. You know, the COP conference has been cancelled. Um, imagine lots of businesses that were thinking about what can we do in this space are now, are now kind of like, re, you know, pivoting to kind of how do we help in this crisis but interestingly enough you know there's a there's a train of thought that says the two are connected that actually pandemics are happening because of how we kind of treated ecosystems so i'm really interested to see what's going to happen there whether that is going to slip down the agenda or can we tie the two together and realize that you know actually by by kind of you know tackling one we're tackling both at the same time um i haven't seen any sort of anyone talking in that way yet but i'm intrigued what's going to play out over the next few months final thing that i would add to that is um we saw a huge rise in the amount of sort of focus on community people people simply just aren't moving around as much uh and so just partly because of your environment they feel far more connected to their kind of their, their their smaller location and their locality and I'd be fascinated to see the extent to which that keeps going, because from what I can see, um, there are so many sort of mini um, sort of help networks 
uh, and kind of shifts in value. So, you know, there are people, they're kind of helping wherever they can. And I really do think it's a kind of ever little helps kind of feeling at the moment. So I don't see brands being, uh, I don't see brands being criticised particularly because they're not solving everything. And it's one of those, you know, all the little bits will add up. And I think you see that uh, in people's communities. So, so I'll be fascinated to see if things like experience come to the fore, if things like, um, you know, human connection comes to the fore and people have already started to rebuild their kind of own links with their own communities. What will that mean for local high streets? What will it mean for travel? What will it mean for the brands that we endorse and we patronise? Because that was kind of a shift beforehand, but it feels like it's gone into overdrive now. So one final question, because we're, we're running out of time um, uh, for our recording. Unfortunately, I have so many more things I want to talk to you guys about. Um, but let's, you know, take it back to to brands, because at the end of the day, this is the, the main audience for this podcast. For brands that are listening in, how should they be thinking about the future? What should they be doing now to pave that way for the future? I'd love to get, you know, one or two little bits of advice from the pair of you as to how brands can have a little think about how best to act right now. Marie, let's start with you. So, as I, as I said, you know, I think this crisis very much fits in with, you know, the other big kind of global challenges that we're facing. And I think what we've seen over recent years is this kind of expectation that that brands do play an important role in the world, that they, that they can have an important impact. And, and you know, that's down to... Uh, whether it's the resources they have or the platform or their ability to to affect behavior change and kind of drive you know drive cultural change so I think really it's about acknowledging that role that you know you do have a part to play and um, obviously that needs to be aligned with your brand and, and what you do and fit with with all of the other great stuff that you do but I think it's it's kind of thinking about what should be the role your brand plays in this because we we all have a part to play and I think brands like individuals um, fit into that love that Neil little one from you if I was a brand um, don't let people down so so I would say don't go dark on people so uh, you know both for your sake and for their sake make sure that you are still out there you are trying to keep life uh, going and you're trying to reassure people um, and if you can uh, I, I would say, you know, try and go beyond to do your bit, um, because from everything that we can see, you will help people through this crisis and it will also make you stronger as you come through. So I think the the type of relationship that brands should look to try and uh, build is, is a reciprocal relationship. And I suspect people either look at it in terms of to some extent, well, how can I answer a consumer's need? Um, or sort of almost purely about a sort of market or a marketing or should we say company oriented business. And I, and I, I would say the more that one can look at this as a reciprocal relationship, uh, then I think brands will probably be more successful for all of that. I think that's a lovely note to, to end on there, Neil. Thank you so much. And thank you both so much for joining us virtually or joining me virtually because it is just me here, even though there is a whole team behind this podcast, joining me virtually on the show. Um, so yeah, huge, huge shout out to the both of you. You've been listening to The Experience Makers, a Cognified podcast. You can follow us at Cognified on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram, or you can visit us at Cognified.com. Don't forget to tune in next month when we'll be discussing how consumer shopping habits are changing and how brands are seeking to capture their attention across every channel. I'll be joined by Cognified's Florian Diem and Kieran McCann, asking how brands can own the omnichannel experience.